This is a brief history of what led up to the very short passage in 2 Kings 11 that we're going to be reading just shortly. Athaliah, mentioned in the passage, was daughter of King Ahab, ruler of the northern kingdom, who, as Kings tells us, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The southern kingdom of Judah was ruled by Jehoshaphat, a godly man, but who made some foolish, foolish decisions. One such was his making a marriage alliance with Ahab that led to Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, marrying Athaliah. And from that marriage came Ahaziah, king of Judah. When Ahaziah was killed as a result of Jehu's northern coup, this brought about the events recorded in 2 Kings 11 and verses 1 to 3. 2 Kings 11, verses 1 to 3. When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to destroy the whole royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram and sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the royal princes who were about to be murdered. She put him and his nurse in a bedroom to hide him from Athaliah. So he was not killed. He remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. Amen. May God add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. And as we approach that word, we stand again to sing Mission Praise 337 in the bleak midwinter. Mission Praise 337. Let's pray together. Lord God, the psalmist says, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. May we indeed, Lord, choose the way of truth. May we set our hearts on doing so as we hear your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are well and truly in the season of Advent. The lighting of the Advent wreath tells us so. As has done the praise items over the last weeks. Like a candle flame, hark the glad sound. Love came down at Christmas. Emmanuel, all have spoken of Advent. As has the Bible readings and sermons. We began a fortnight past with prophets foretold him. All speak of Advent. All speak of the coming of Christ. 
So you may find yourself wondering where the very brief reading from 2 Kings 11 fits into all of this. Well, God made the coming of his kingdom and therefore the coming of Christmas depend on a promise he made. A promise made in the midst of all the turbulence and upheaval of human history. Sometimes we call that promise the Davidic covenant. As when the living God assured David in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God's promise is that David's line of kings will never cease and eventually the future David, David's greater son, the messianic king, will bring this line to its awesome climax. However, as the history of God's people unfolded, the kingdom divided, and David's line reigned over a postage-sized stamp, part of it called Judah. And the day came in about 840 BC, when it looked like there wouldn't ever be a Davidic king around. And therefore, there wouldn't be any Davidic Messiah born. And therefore, wouldn't be, ever be any Christmas. No king from the line of David, no Messiah, no Christ, no Christmas. Second Kings 11 focuses on that time, focuses on the lady who saved Christmas. The lady who saved Christmas Sounds a bit like the title of a film, doesn't it? Something that wouldn't be out of place alongside Santa the movie or The Muppet's Christmas Carol. But it's not the title of a film. It's the title that Dale Ralph Davis, an American professor of Old Testament studies, gave to a preaching seminar he conducted, which centred on this passage in 2 Kings, which we read earlier, and which I invite you to turn to now. The lady who saved Christmas was Yehoshaba. The one who almost did for it was Athaliah. This is the ABC of Athaliah. A, she was Ahab's daughter. B, she was a Baal worshipper. C, she was cruel. Even by the standards of the day, she was a particularly nasty piece of work. The savage fury of God's enemies. While in sharp contrast, Contrast, in Jehoshaphat, we see the striking faithfulness of God's servant. And in and through all that goes on as events surrounding Athaliah and Jehoshaphat unfold, we also see the subversive nature of God's kingdom, the savage fury of God's enemies, the striking faithfulness of God's servant, the subversive nature of God's kingdom. So firstly, the savage fury of God's enemies. As already said, this is what we see in Athaliah's actions, an implacable determination in a worshipper of false gods to defy the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this hostility is the spiritual reality the Bible depicts from beginning to end. A reality far removed from the cosy Christmas card representation of Christmas, often in evidence at this time of year. In Genesis 3, Enmity is heralded between the offspring of the woman from whom Jesus would ultimately come and the offspring of the serpent. While in Revelation 12 and verse 9, we read of war in heaven and of the ancient serpent, the devil, being hurled to earth. 
where we further read, he is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. The kind of fury we see in Athaliah, an intent to destroy, destroy God's people. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you, says 1 John 3 and verse 13. And earlier in 1 John, the figure in whom this hatred would ultimately coalesce had been highlighted. In John 2.18, we are told, dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that, and that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Although the coming of the Antichrist is highlighted, John says, even now, many Antichrists have come. And in 2 Kings 11, Antichrist was spelt A-T-H-A-L-I-A-H, Athaliah. And of course, the term Antichrist points to the fact that the ultimate origin of this implacable hostility as already alluded to, is satanic. A spiritual truth recognized in Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God, Paul says to the Christians in Ephesus, so that you can stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul is under no illusion as to the reality of spiritual warfare and its focus. In the midst of what has been described as the mince piety of Christmas, it's all too easy to forget the spiritual realities the Bible consistently underlines. The savage fury of God's enemies, which of course we see an echo of in Herod's response to the coming of the Christ child. When rumours of another king reach Herod, he is disturbed. He says he wants to worship this newborn king, but really he wants to destroy and doesn't hesitate to do so, killing all the boys two years old and under in Bethlehem and its vicinity, leaving mothers weeping and mourning beyond comfort. Herod's implacable opposition to the coming of Christ the savage fury of God's enemies mirrored in Athalia. If she had had her way, there would have been no Christmas. If Herod had had his way, there would have been only one. In savage fury, Athalia and Herod resorted to massacre in an attempt to achieve their purpose. And in many places in our world, this savage fury is an ongoing reality. On several occasions, we have had James come to speak of the persecuted church on behalf of Release International. Their prayer diary for the last few days had these three entries. Ask God to protect Christians in Burkina Faso who are believed to be on a jihadist hit list. Pray for 10-year-old Philip, whose father, Pastor Daniel, was stabbed to death by extremists. And the entry for today, pray for 
Homayun Zave and his wife Sarah Admani, who have been sentenced to two and eight years respectively for their house church activities. The savage fury of God's enemies. The Bible tells us what Christians can expect. Our situation, of course, is far removed from this. The church in the West has experienced a remarkable period of religious peace and tolerance. But to use words from a recent book called Being the Bad Guys by Stephen McAlpin, the cultural, political and real guns that Christianity once held are now trained on us. I'll repeat that. The cultural, political, and legal guns that Christianity once held are now trained on us. So we shouldn't be surprised if we encounter tinges of this hostility in our office, our shop, our school, our neighborhood. Jesus predicted it, the apostles experienced it, and the church in most times and in most places have lived it. The savage fury of God's enemies. A spiritual truth we lose focus of at our peril. A truth that should get us ready for whatever comes our way. And also increase our prayers and support for our harassed and helpless brothers and sisters in Christ in other more dangerous parts of the world. But in the face of such fury, the striking faithfulness of God's servant, Yehoshaphat, whose faithful endeavor saves the day. A few years back, Hillary and Chelsea Clinton co-authored a work entitled The Book of Gutsy Women. Jehoshaphat was a gutsy woman. Athalia's attempt to bring to an end David's line from which David's greater son would come was thwarted by the devotion, imagination and initiative of this young woman who had a godly concern about what was happening in the world around her and was ready to ask herself if there was something that she was meant to do about it. Are we ready to ask ourselves the same question? Jehoshaphat's place in the palace was not coincidental, but providential. In an absolutely awful situation, God used Jehoshaphat to fulfill his purposes. Can you imagine the mayhem as Athalia's henchmen stormed through the palace with murderous intent? It was a situation in which Jehoshaphat might well have hoped to avoid and opted to save herself. But she didn't. At a very significant hour, she thought of saving rather than of being safe. And in so doing, foreshadowed a much more significant hour. When Jesus faces the cross, he says, now is my heart troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. 
It may be at some point we face an hour in our lives that we would rather be saved from. We may be facing it at present. It appears to us to be a situation of such proportions that it leaves us feeling defeated before we have started and consequently unable to proceed. But if not us, then who? Which way to go? God's way? Or our way? The way of self? Or the way of the cross? Jehoshaphat faced death for her belief and responded in faith. It's very unlikely that any of us will ever find ourselves in a similar situation. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, and I'm speaking to myself here, in much more safe and secure situations, don't we still find ourselves avoiding risks, remaining silent, keeping a low profile, rather than responding in faith? The striking faithfulness of God's servant. Yoshiba challenges us to stand up and be counted. Stand up and make a difference. Stand up for what we believe in. And for some of us, that might be just choosing to continue to stand together here, Sunday by Sunday, demonstrating what we believe in. In striking faithfulness, Jehoshaphat stood up to be counted. And in so doing, saved Christmas. Saved the line from which Christ would come. Did she know the import of her actions? Undoubtedly not. But in faithfulness, she responded and made a difference beyond her wildest dreams. At the same time, showing how God delights to use the ordinary to achieve the extraordinary. Here God makes the future of his severely threatened kingdom depend not on the military prowess of a king or even the impressive preaching of a prophet, but on the striking faithfulness of a young woman. The striking faithfulness of God's servant, who in dedication and self-offering prefigures the striking faithfulness of another such. Mary, an unmarried teenage virgin, told out of the blue she was going to have a baby, with all that that would bring to her door, anger in the family, misunderstanding in Joseph, gossip in the community. Yet, she was willing to say, I am the Lord's servant. Be to me, be it to me, as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Time and again, God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And such a way of working challenges us 
Because surely that is us. That's the way we feel about ourselves. The weak, the ordinary. God's way of working challenges us to to take a moment to think about how we can step out in faith. Just move a wee bit out of our comfort zone. Do something that will stretch our faith or extend God's kingdom. It may be that you're thinking at this point, but I'm not a Yehoshua or a Mary. My service is not as crucial as theirs. But who knows the import of our action? Who knows the consequences that may follow from our faithfully teaching God's word in our home or park kids? Who knows what may follow from our wrestling and intercessory prayer for a family member or a friend? Who knows what may follow from our reaching out into the community through support of the Viewcare Project up the hill? The striking faithfulness of God's servant. And finally, the subversive nature of God's kingdom. Two kingdoms are present in verse 3. The kingdom of the world represented by Athaliah and the kingdom of God represented by the baby boy Joash. Athaliah's kingdom is visible and strong. God's kingdom is hidden and apparently weak, but contains within it the power to subvert Athaliah's kingdom. It's a kingdom within a kingdom. The usurper rules, but the chosen king, as it were, secretly rules. Unknown to Athaliah, the true king is there behind the scenes. And the usurper doesn't have a clue as to this reality. There is often a vast difference between what is apparent and what is actually the case. Here Athaliah is ruling Judah and never ever imagining a lad secreted away in a temple room, patiently learning his ABCs. The reality of this kingdom is hinted at in Philippians 4 and verse 22, where the Apostle Paul tells the church at Philippi that all the saints send their greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. That, of course, in all probability, doesn't mean that they were Caesar's sons or daughters, but more likely they were employed in the imperial service, servants who cleaned out the imperial latrines, servants who served at table or did administrative duties. In one sense, Caesar was their lord. But actually, they have begun to serve a different lord. Caesar rules the empire, but Jesus had begun to rule over some of Caesar's subjects. Jesus has set up his kingdom under Caesar's very nose in his own civil service. An initially small presence, but a godly presence with the power to subvert. A kingdom likened in the Gospels to a mustard seed, so small and apparently insignificant, but but carrying within it incredible potential and power, power to overcome, to overcome the kingdom of the world. Which in the fullness of time, It's what happened in the case of Athaliah. 
as the purposes of God work himself out through the life of a baby boy. Jewish came to the throne, Athaliah to a sorry end. And through another birth, we look forward to celebrating at this time of Advent. We see these purposes continuing to their fulfillment through the birth of another king. Born, as already said, not in Jerusalem, not in a palace, but in a buyer in Bethlehem. Born in apparent weakness, but possessing a power the world knows nothing of. The power to change the status quo in a world which, from a spiritual point of view, is totally wrecked. The power to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. Overcome the savage fury of God's enemies. In one corner, the savage fury of God's enemies. In the other, the subversive nature of God's kingdom which despite all appearances to the contrary, has within it the power to overcome the world. In the midst of a world like ours, in the midst of our frailty, in the midst of all that we have to contend with at this time, is this not a word of real encouragement? In one corner, the savage fury of God's enemies, but in the other, the subversive nature of God's kingdom. And in the middle, the means that God chooses to make this happen, the striking faithfulness of God's servant, Yehoshua, the lady who saved Christmas. In Yehoshua, we see what God can accomplish through faithfulness in his servants. We see what God can accomplish through faithfulness. What he can accomplish through faithfulness in you and I. What might he accomplish through faithfulness in his servants here? What might be saved? What might be restored? What might be renewed? What might be this Christmas and in the year beyond through the faithfulness of God's servants here in Park? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, in a world of conflict, climate change and coronavirus, a world so much in need of the good news of Jesus, keep us faithful, we pray. Keep us faithful to the gospel. Keep us faithful to Jesus. In his name we ask it. Amen. We sing in closing mission praise 708 to God be the glory great things he hath done mission praise 708 growing grace
and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Babe of Bethlehem, mighty God, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us all, both now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>